The 15th Amendment to the United States Constitution prohibits the federal government and each state from denying or abridging a citizen's right to vote on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. It was ratified on February 3, 1870, as the third and last of the Reconstruction Amendments. In the final years of the American Civil War and the Reconstruction era that followed, Congress repeatedly debated the rights of the millions of former black slaves. By 1869, Amendments had been passed to abolish slavery and provide citizenship and equal protection under the laws, but the election of Ulysses S. Grant to the presidency in 1868 convinced a majority of Republicans that protecting the franchise of black male voters was important for the party's future. On February 26, 1869, after rejecting more sweeping versions of a suffrage amendment, Congress proposed a compromise amendment banning franchise restrictions on the basis of race, color, or previous servitude. After surviving a difficult ratification fight, the amendment was certified as duly ratified and part of the Constitution on March 30, 1870. United States Supreme Court decisions in the late 19th century interpreted the amendment narrowly. From 1890 to 1910, southern states adopted new state constitutions and enacted laws that raised barriers to voter registration. This resulted in most black voters and many poor white ones being disenfranchised by poll taxes and discriminatory literacy tests, among other barriers to voting from which white male voters were exempted by grandfather clauses. A system of white primaries and violent intimidation by white groups also suppressed black participation. In the 20th century, the court began to interpret the amendment more broadly, striking down grandfather clauses in Gwynn v. United States, 1915, and dismantling the white primary system in the Texas primary cases, 1927 through 1953. Voting rights were further incorporated into the Constitution in the 19th Amendment, voting rights for women, and the 24th Amendment, prohibiting poll taxes in federal elections. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 provided federal oversight of elections in discriminatory jurisdictions, banned literacy tests and similar discriminatory devices, and created legal remedies for people affected by voting discrimination. The court also found poll taxes in state elections unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment in Harper v. Virginia State Board of Elections, 1966. Text. Section 1. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Section 2. The Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Background. In the final years of the American Civil War and the Reconstruction era that followed, Congress repeatedly debated the rights of black former slaves freed by the 1863 Emancipation Proclamation and the 1865 13th Amendment the latter of which had formally abolished slavery. Following the passage of the 13th Amendment by Congress, however, Republicans grew concerned over the increase it would create in the congressional representation of the Democratic-dominated southern states. Because the full population of freed slaves would be now counted rather than the three-fifths mandated by the previous three-fifths compromise, the southern states would dramatically increase their power in the population-based House of Representatives. Republicans hoped to offset this advantage by attracting and protecting votes of the newly enfranchised black population. In 1865, Congress passed what would become the Civil Rights Act of 1866, guaranteeing citizenship without regard to race, color, or previous condition of slavery or involuntary servitude. The bill also guaranteed equal benefits and access to the law, a direct assault on the black codes passed by many post-war southern states. The Black Codes attempted to return ex-slaves to something like their former condition by, among other things, restricting their movement, forcing them to enter into year-long labor contracts, prohibiting them from owning firearms, and by preventing them from suing or testifying in court. 
Although strongly urged by moderates in Congress to sign the bill, President Johnson vetoed it on March 27, 1866. In his veto message, he objected to the measure because it conferred citizenship on the freedmen at a time when 11 out of 36 states were unrepresented in the Congress, and that it discriminated in favor of African Americans and against whites. Three weeks later, Johnson's veto was overridden and the measure became law. This was the first time in American history that Congress was able to muster the votes necessary to override a presidential veto. Despite this victory, even some Republicans who had supported the goals of the Civil Rights Act began to doubt that Congress possessed the constitutional power to turn those goals into laws. The experience encouraged both radical and moderate Republicans to seek constitutional guarantees for black rights, rather than relying on temporary political majorities. On June 18, 1866, Congress adopted the 14th Amendment, which guaranteed citizenship and equal protection under the laws regardless of race, and sent it to the states for ratification. After a bitter struggle that included attempted rescissions of ratification by two states, the 14th Amendment was adopted on July 28, 1868. Section 2 of the 14th Amendment punished, by reduced representation in the House of Representatives, any state that disenfranchised any male citizens over 21 years of age. By failing to adopt a harsher penalty, this signaled to the states that they still possess the right to deny ballot access based on race. Northern states were generally as averse to granting voting rights to blacks as southern states. In the year of its ratification, only eight northern states allowed blacks to vote. In the South, blacks were able to vote in many areas, but only through the intervention of the occupying Union Army. Before Congress had granted suffrage to blacks in the territories by passing the Territorial Suffrage Act on January 10, 1867, Source, Congressional Globe, 39th Congress, Second Session, pages 381 through 82, blacks were granted the right to vote in the District of Columbia on January 8, 1867. Proposal and Ratification Proposal Anticipating an increase in Democratic membership in the following Congress, Republicans used the lame-duck session of the 40th United States Congress to pass an amendment protecting black suffrage. Rep. John Bingham, the primary author of the 14th Amendment, pushed for a wide-ranging ban on suffrage limitations, but a broader proposal banning voter restriction on the basis of race, color, nativity, property, education, or religious beliefs was rejected. A proposal to specifically ban literacy tests was also rejected. Some representatives from the North, where nativism was a major force, wished to preserve restrictions denying the franchise to foreign-born citizens, as did representatives from the West, where ethnic Chinese were banned from voting. Both Southern and Northern Republicans also wanted to continue to deny the vote temporarily to Southerners disenfranchised for support of the Confederacy, and they were concerned that a sweeping endorsement of suffrage would enfranchise this group. A House and Senate Conference Committee proposed the amendment's final text, which banned voter restriction only on the basis of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. To attract the broadest possible base of support, the amendment made no mention of poll taxes or other measures to block voting, and did not guarantee the right of blacks to hold office. Preliminary drafts did include office-holding language, but scholars disagree as to the reason for this change. This compromised proposal was approved by the House on February 25, 1869, and the Senate the following day. The vote in the House was 144 to 44, with 35 not voting. The House vote was almost entirely along party lines, with no Democrats supporting the bill and only three Republicans voting against it, some because they thought the amendment did not go far enough in its protections. The House of Representatives passed the amendment, with 143 Republicans and one conservative Republican voting yay and 39 Democrats, three Republicans, one independent Republican and one conservative voting no. 26 Republicans, 8 Democrats, 
and one independent Republican did not vote. The final vote in the Senate was 39 to 13, with 14 not voting. The Senate passed the amendment, with 39 Republicans voting yay and 8 Democrats and 5 Republicans voting nay, 13 Republicans and 1 Democrat did not vote. Some radical Republicans, such as Massachusetts Senator Charles Sumner, abstained from voting because the amendment did not prohibit literacy tests and poll taxes. Following congressional approval, the proposed amendment was then sent by Secretary of State William Henry Seward to the states for ratification or rejection. Ratification. Though many of the original proposals for the amendment had been moderated by negotiations in committee, the final draft nonetheless faced significant hurdles in being ratified by three-fourths of the states. Historian William Gillette wrote of the process, it was hard going and the outcome was uncertain until the very end. One source of opposition to the proposed amendment was the women's suffrage movement, which before and during the Civil War had made common cause with the abolitionist movement. State constitutions often connected race and sex by limiting suffrage to white male citizens. However, with the passage of the 14th Amendment, which had explicitly protected only male citizens in its second section, activists found the civil rights of women divorced from those of blacks. Matters came to a head with the proposal of the 15th Amendment, which barred race discrimination but not sex discrimination in voter laws. One of Congress's most explicit discussions regarding the link between suffrage and office holding occurred during discussions about the 15th Amendment. Initially, both houses passed a version of the amendment that included language referring to office holding but ultimately the language was omitted. During this time, women continued to advocate for their own rights, holding conventions and passing resolutions demanding the right to vote and hold office. Some preliminary versions of the amendment even included women. However, the final version omitted references to sex, further splintering the women's suffrage movement. After an acrimonious debate, the American Equal Rights Association, the nation's leading suffragist group, split into two rival organizations, the National Woman's Suffrage Association of Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who opposed the amendment, and the American Woman's Suffrage Association of Lucy Stone and Henry Brown Blackwell, who supported it. The two groups remained divided until the 1890s. Nevada was the first state to ratify the amendment, on March 1, 1869. The New England states and most Midwest states also ratified the amendment soon after its proposal. Southern states still controlled by radical Reconstruction governments, such as North Carolina, also swiftly ratified. Newly elected President Ulysses S. Grant strongly endorsed the amendment, calling it a measure of grander importance than any other one act of the kind from the foundation of our free government to the present day. He privately asked Nebraska's governor to call a special legislative session to speed the process, securing the state's ratification. In April and December 1869, Congress passed Reconstruction bills mandating that Virginia, Mississippi, Texas and Georgia ratify the amendment as a precondition to regaining congressional representation. All four states did so. The struggle for ratification was particularly close in Indiana and Ohio, which voted to ratify in May 1869 and January 1870, respectively. New York, which had ratified on April 14, 1869, tried to revoke its ratification on January 5, 1870. However, in February 1870, Georgia, Iowa, Nebraska, and Texas ratified the amendment, bringing the total ratifying states to 29, one more than the required 28 ratifications from the 37 states, and forestalling any court challenge to New York's resolution to withdraw its consent. The first 28 states to ratify the 15th Amendment were 1. Nevada March 1, 1869. 2. West Virginia, March 3, 1869. 3. North Carolina, March 5, 1869. 4. Illinois, March 5, 1869. 5. Louisiana, 
March 5, 1869. 6. Michigan, March 8, 1869. 7. Wisconsin, March 9, 1869. 8. Maine, March 11, 1869. 9. Massachusetts, March 12, 1869. 10. Arkansas, March 15, 1869. 11. South Carolina, March 15, 1869. 12. Pennsylvania, March 25, 1869. 13. New York, April 14, 1869. Rescinded ratification, January 5, 1870. Re-ratified, March 30, 1870. 14. Indiana, May 14, 1869. 15. Connecticut, May 19, 1869. 16. Florida, June 14, 1869. 17. New Hampshire, July 1, 1869. 18. Virginia, October 8, 1869. 19. Vermont, October 20, 1869. 20. Alabama, November 16, 1869. 21. Missouri, January 10, 1870. 22. Minnesota, January 13, 1870. 23. Mississippi, January 17, 1870. 24. Rhode Island, January 18, 1870. 25. Kansas, January 19, 1870. 26. Ohio, January 27, 1870, after rejection, April 1, 30, 1869. 27. Georgia, February 2, 1870. 28. Iowa, February 3, 1870. Secretary of State Hamilton Fish certified the amendment on March 30, 1870, also including the ratifications of. 29. Nebraska, February 17, 1870. 30. Texas, February 18, 1870. The remaining seven states all subsequently ratified the amendment. 31. New Jersey, February 15, 1871, after rejection, March 17 18, 1870. 32. Delaware, February 12, 1901, after rejection, March 17 18, 1869. 33. Oregon, February 24, 1959, after rejection, October 26, 1870. 34. California, April 3, 1962, after rejection, January 28, 1870. 35. Maryland, May 7, 1973, after rejection, February 4-26, 1870. 36. Kentucky, March 18, 1976, after rejection, March 11-12, 1869. 37. Tennessee, April 8, 1997, after rejection, November 16, 1869. The amendment's adoption was met with widespread celebrations in black communities and abolitionist societies, many of the latter disbanded, feeling that black rights had been secured and their work was complete. President Grant said of the amendment that it completes the greatest civil change and constitutes the most important event that has occurred since the nation came to life. Many Republicans felt that with the amendment's passage, black Americans no longer needed federal protection. Congressman and future President James A. Garfield stated that the amendment's passage confers upon the African race the care of its own destiny. It places their fortunes in their own hands. Congressman John R. Lynch later wrote that ratification of those two amendments made Reconstruction a success. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com.
The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.